Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Monday, September 14th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 374 featuring longtime Boston Herald NBA writer Steve Bullpett is powered by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today for your free sign-up bonus. All right, Celtics fans, welcome in. It is time. We are on the eve here as we chat right now of the Eastern Conference Finals. And yes, after a grueling seven-game series between the Seas and the Toronto Raptors, the Seas prevailed. They beat the defending champs, although it's still weird calling them that without Kawhi Leonard, obviously. But never mind that. They go to the Conference Finals. They're part of the Final Four and get ready for the Miami Heat. No Milwaukee Bucks, obviously no Raps. It's all about the Seas and the Heat. Who would have thought after years of thinking, of course, they're going to get to the NBA Finals with the likes of Kelly Olenek and Jay Crowder. Well, now those guys are on the other side standing in their way of contending for a championship. Let's get into it. Adam Kaufman, my producer, Evan Valenti, and Steve Bullpett, who I know everyone out there is very familiar with, of course, covered the Boston Celtics, the entire NBA for decades with the Boston Herald. And, uh, Steve, we are anxious to see where you land next, if for no other reason than because nobody is as plugged into that organization as you are to this day, and uh, we miss your coverage dearly. Well, it's nice of you to say, nice of you to fib for me. I appreciate that. (laughs) No, we mean it sincerely and really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us. And I know that obviously you have still been following everything very closely and watching the NBA. And before we even get into the C specifically, not enough can be said about how strange life is right now and, and the pandemic and all that has gone along with it. I hope that you and yours are staying safe and healthy and happy. And uh, just as, as you watch the NBA and, and this bubble environment, I'm sure in all your years, you never could have envisioned anything like this. No, I mean, um, you know, ever since I stopped taking drugs, I never thought, no, I, I <laughs> never took drugs. Um, no, it's, it's crazy, but it's, um, it's funny. It, like the, the road team won every game, right? In the, the Boston Toronto series, yeah. this is more pure basketball. This is, you know, if you could, you try to eliminate variables to figure out which is the better team. Well, a lot of that's gone now, you know, without the travel, without the home crowd, without, you know, whatever. Um, this is a, a more, this is a pure uh, way to decide, you know, if, if we're looking at, you know, figuring out which team is the best, this is the kind of environment that probably 
is uh, the better way to get it done. You like that? You know, just as an NBA fan, I know for years, for decades, we've said talent wins in the NBA more than any other sport. Ultimately, that is going to be the team that has the champion with very rare exception. You think of that Pistons team almost 20 years ago at this point, that was not the most talented team top to bottom. It didn't have that superstar player, but typically there are the Jordans more recently, the LeBrons, obviously the new big three in Boston back in 08. But right now it really is to your point. It's, it's about the best team out there on the floor. It no longer necessarily is these guys that deal the best in, in all of those variables of home court advantage and home crowd and travel and on and on. Yeah. I mean, look, that's a, that's a positive of it being able to see it in a, a, a pure form. Um, but overall it's a, look, a negative because if you look at what, how the NBA came back into prominence, it was bird magic, the Lakers and the Celtics in the early 80s. The late 70s, the NBA, they were looking to contract teams. That's a real thing that was, that was in the works to happen. And bird and magic, Boston, L.A., you know, West Coast, East Coast, that stuff, that drama is what enhanced the league, brought it back, and Michael Jordan, took, once those guys had put it on solid footing, I mean, we're, we're still talking about a league that had its finals games on tape delay, or excuse me, not on tape delay, but on um, at uh, out of prime time, excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, and so that league was created by that drama, by the fans. People were watching these games. Like basketball people will like now. They'll enjoy – watching the pure basketball, but to, if you just took all the basketball fans in the country, that's a a relatively, it's it's a smaller portion than NBA fans. Uh, NBA fans, uh, you're talking about adding in people who care about the, the atmosphere, the, the crowds, the frenzy, all that stuff, the drama. And I think that you, you lose a lot of that in this situation but just pure buckets, you know, if you're looking for a positive out of this mess, then that would be it. Well, with the NBA right now, and obviously we are gearing up toward this Final Four, I know over in the West, either way, well, most especially for the people that want L.A., L.A., Lakers, Clippers, there are tons of superstars. In the East, it's not necessarily the case. You know, you have an all-star in Kemba Walker. Gordon Hayward, if he returns, he's been that player, and hopefully he will be again. We'll talk about him Jalen Brown will be an all-star at some point. I think most people are convinced of that. Jason Tatum, he is a superstar in the making. Some would say he already is and very young guy and so successful. And then you have Jimmy Butler on the other side, who's never been at this stage in all his years and all his stops in the NBA. So there's a lot of newness to this conference final on the East side. Now, normally we save predictions for the end. I want to get there right off the hop. I think Celtics are going to win this one in six, and uh, I, I want your thoughts, and then we can get into the how and what. Well, I'm not a much of a predictor, but uh, the way I look at those things is if each team were to play to its maximum, who would win? And I think that the, if the Celtics play to their max, they win the series. But that doesn't mean they will because Miami plays a style – that can easily take the Celtics away from what they do. That can they can really injure the way the Celtics want to play. Um, so I don't think it's 
a, a solid that Boston wins this at all, even though if you look player for player, you'd say, oh, I'll take Boston's guys over their guys. Um, I just think it's going to be a, a lot more complicated than that. That in mind, what do you think Seas fans should be most concerned about for this series? What makes, you know, what's what's the most dangerous, the most dangerous obstacle, I suppose, on the Heat side? Well, the most dangerous obstacle is the Heat's, the Heat have so many good outside shooters that if those guys are allowed to get on a roll, forget about it. No matter what you do, it's not going to matter because – uh, Miami has you – know, they've, they've got good three-point shooters, and they'll, they'll be good against good defense. But if, if you start uh, letting those guys hit shots, contested threes, and they get into that groove, you know, it's going to get wild. And that – so to me, the, the series comes down to this. The Celtics defensively have to be locked in. You saw them that way a lot against Toronto, but not all the time. And that's where they got in trouble. The Miami will hurt you even worse than Toronto could. So I think, you know, perimeter defense, ball pressure, uh, keeping the, the keeping the heat from making that first pass that uh, or making it easily that gets them into their offense. And they don't necessarily need to pass. They're a, a good dribble handoff team. They, they're a good catch-and-shoot team. Um, again, they've got guys that just can get get their shot off quickly. And in Jimmy Butler, you're looking at the reason why the series against Philadelphia was easy and why the series against Miami won't be. Uh, Philadelphia, that was a huge mistake. Uh, they should have done whatever, including, you know, chains, athletic tape, whatever, to keep Jimmy Butler in Philadelphia because that team is Philadelphia just so mismatched. But in Jimmy Butler, you had a guy who could go get his own shot and Philadelphia really didn't have that afterward. And now Miami does have a guy like that. So, you know, if it's a a handful of points game down into crunch time, Jimmy Butler is the kind of guy who can win that kind of game. And uh, so, you know, they've got, Duncan Robinson is going to be huge in this series, keeping him in check if you can. Um, they've got guys at Tyler Harrow who will just, you know, wind up from somewhere uh, in downtown Orlando and, and fire away. Um, it's going to be interesting. But, but if you're the Celtics, offense, great. You're going to play your offense. You've got to make sure that every bit of energy you have, you, you don't leave anything – on the, you know, on, in the bucket on the defensive end. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think when you look at Miami now, I haven't watched all of Miami throughout the entire season, but I caught a lot of them in the bubble because I think they're just fun to watch. And after watching Toronto up close for seven games, I think that the half-court offense between the two teams is pretty, like, stark, okay? Toronto's a great team in transition, but when you slow them down to the half court, if it's not Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet really initiating, they get kind of bottled up. They don't really know what to do. I love Toronto's half court offense. Flip side of that, I love Miami's half court offense. It's just much quicker. They get into sets quicker. The ball moves side to side, inside out. And those shooters become really important. But I think the big, I am deeply concerned with what Boston does with Bam Adebayo. Cause I think Bam, 
the way he's grown into his position this year, he's not just a shot blocker anymore. He's way more complicated than that. I mean, at Kentucky, you know, he's kind of a pick and dive guy, sort of a pick and pop guy, but more of a pick and dive guy, athletic as hell, runs the floor, rim runs, kind of like what people want Robert Williams to do. Now he's gotten to Miami. Now he's got a little bit of dribble drive game. He can put the ball on the deck, spin, create his own shot. He can pass out of, you know, the high post if he needs to. And that's what really opens up the shooters. And what gets me really concerned is if it's, you got a Boston Celtics team that got beat up a little bit on the offensive glass in that series against Toronto where Toronto get offensive rebounds and kick it out to a Fred Van Vliet or an OG Ananobi or a, or, a, or, or a Kyle Lowry or somebody, replace those shooters now with Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Goran Dragic, a red-hot Jay Crowder, which I can't believe it's still happening, uh, Kelly Olenek, who can shoot threes. You can get buried in a hurry. And I, as much as, you know, you want to limit your damage and transition, I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback off you, Steve. Sticking to shooters in the half court is going to be, I think, the biggest thing of this series, in my opinion. Yeah. And because your, your point about Adebayo, what impresses me the most is now the Celtics have to be wary of any, and he's not overly tall, but, you know, at 6'9, he still is a, is a, a serious threat down lower in the paint. But he's a guy that if you try to help, he will make the pass and he'll make the right pass. And again, you don't want to give, you know, their shooters, you know, uh, in Catholic school during the dances, it was, you know, room for the Holy ghost in the middle. You don't want to leave room for the Holy ghost. And I'm not even Catholic, but I went to a Catholic college, go university of Dayton. Um, but seriously, you've, you've got to, you've got to stay up tight on those guys. Um, and again, it's like, playing with kind of, you know, like with like a grenade, tossing a grenade around the, the pins out. And they, if they get hot, then all of a sudden they'll make shots against the best defense, against the tightest defense. You can have uh, Jalen Brown up on the guy and he's not going to care because at the very heart of it, the offense always has some edge over the defense because the offensive player – knows what he's going to do before the defensive player knows what the offensive player is going to do. So, you know, having a breath of room to, to get up your shot, that's huge. And Miami's also in that other, other situation where uh, they're on a roll. They're playing with that good feeling. That feeling is important that we're in this together. It's working. We're giving, we're sharing the ball. We're not worrying about it. It's not sticking. The Celtics have that feeling this year. They didn't last year. Uh, but still, the biggest, one of the biggest reasons Celtics-Raptors went seven is because on offense, the Celtics, the ball stuck a lot. There were too many times where a guy says, okay, I'm going to go make a play now. Killer. It's, it's not good for you. You know, I've, I've said it before. I'll say it a thousand times. Ball movement is life. And guys, you know, as good as – Jalen Brown is and Jason Tatum is uh, going one-on-one, making a move, getting a shot up over somebody. They are much better finishers. So if you can get them the ball within a step of the bucket and you can just finish, that's, that is so much better. And again, ball movement is, it's what keeps guys, uh, an open shooter shouldn't have had to be go with like four possessions without touching the ball. And this is what, you know, the Celtics need to do. We talked a lot about their defense, but offensively, that's got to be the, the plan as well. The ball can't stick. 
A guy that we have not really talked about, Marcus Smart, was excellent in that Toronto series. I think opened up a lot of eyes when it comes to his fan club. People know this listening to this show. If I'm not the president of that group, I'm certainly on the board. Big Marcus Smart guy, and I think a lot of people are who watch him day in and day out. I imagine you're the same. But what I'm wondering is, going into this series, if in fact Brad Stevens is correct in that we will see Gordon Hayward at some point, we know he's been ruled out for game one with that ankle injury, but he's back in the bubble. He's working out, he's practicing, he's getting closer. Who knows? Maybe game two on Thursday. We take these things day by day. What impact does that have on smart? You know, is Hayward when he returns coming off the bench? Is he eating into smarts minutes? Is smart worrying about eating into Hayward's minutes? You know, how much, Russ, could there possibly be after such a long, you know, it's going to be a full month, if not five weeks away from playing since they opened up the playoffs when he suffered that injury in game one. So how quick is the hook from Stevens to go back to what worked against Toronto? What is the the impact here from Gordon Hayward when it comes to his factoring in as, as really an X factor, for lack of a better way of putting it? I, I think you cannot know the answer to that right now. It's hard to figure out. You know, how is he going to come back? How they're going to use him? I'm not sure. Um, and you could easily, you know, you could easily start him. But, you, but the, the what Marcus Smart gives you defensively to start a game off is invaluable. Then again, you look at the Celtics. They're, you know, Marcus Smart is in the starting lineup after halftime. And how terrible have the Celtics been to start the third quarter? Yep. So, you know, and I'm not putting that on, on Marcus Smart, but what Gordon Hayward does is he lengthens your good. You know, he, he takes what you can do well and ball movement and all these things, and, and he makes other guys better. I, I think it's hilarious when you look at, at, at people, pundits, whomever, uh, that's, that look at, a, at a Gordon Hayward and say, Oh, look at his numbers. That's this is you're paying this you know much for this here, and he's he ain't any good. Look at his you know he's only scoring this much. This is terrible. But if you really look at Gordon Hayward's numbers, they're incredibly good. What he's producing for yeah. his usage rate, incredibly, is efficient. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, now, having said that, I wrote a couple of years ago that what's funny here is that if you were you didn't know what you were getting fully when you drafted Jason Tatum. You didn't know he was going to get this good this fast. Mm-hmm. Would you have spent all that money on Gordon Hayward? Probably not. You'd have probably try to put it into someone larger, someone that, that meets a need more. Because um, that's an awful lot of money to spend for that quote-unquote role. It may be eventually what puts you over the top, which means it's worth it, but it's interesting. But in terms of what Gordon Hayward gives you, he doesn't just give you his numbers. He gives you his numbers in a small usage rate, and he gives you his numbers while moving the ball. And so if you look at at what other guys are able to do, and Gordon Hayward has a, has a piece of that as well. It's like um, – the 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 wait wait staff tipping up tipping uh, the bus boys um, at the end of the night, you know you got to save a little something for Gordon. Put a put a little something in his uh, in his in his bag as you walk by his locker. I need you to write a book of just like 
idioms and sayings you've used for this entire podcast because there's like four or five different lines you've dropped <laughs> that are just absolutely brilliant. Like that last one is really great because again, anybody that you know, outside looking in, looking at Gordon Hayward's numbers are not really that impressive. But I'm pretty sure, like, didn't Danny go on 98.5 and was like, if you actually look at the numbers, Gordon Hayward is the most, like, efficient player of the NBA with his usage rate, maybe in NBA history. I know it was of this year, but it was – I don't pay attention to anything Ainge says. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, right. But this is – see, this is, this is the weird crap that goes through my head all the time. So, that, right. you know, that's, this is shows you how scary it is to be, like, you know, stuck with me. Yeah, well, Gordon is going to be the biggest question mark for Boston, I think, out of out of everything, and and it just stinks because you know every time it seems like he gets somewhat back to old Gordon Hayward, quote unquote, and you know that guy, you know the guy in Utah was never going to be the guy here. But anyway, getting back to looking he like his old self, he wasn't going to see the ball as much, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Much, yeah. those no. numbers were never going to be replicated. Never going to happen. No, but when he is on the floor and you, you you see it, it's just like you look at him, you're like, yeah, that's what that looks like. He's cutting well off the basketball, moving guys around, changing the geometry of the floor, not without exactly having the ball in his hands. He can do all that stuff while other stuff's going on over here, which will make him super valuable. But my 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 fear is, you know, you bring him back, then he gets reacclimated. But this is not your normal scenario. This is not in the middle of the regular season where – you know, it's, you know, January and, you know, guys are getting ready to go on vacation for the all-star break or, you know, guys are worried about minutes as we get closer to the postseason or even to the bubble scenario where everybody's like kind of remembering how to play basketball again. This is smack dab in the middle of the Eastern Conference Finals where the winner goes home and you have to start making sacrifices. And Brad, I, I don't envy his position at all, uh, being in a position where he has to, look at the team and balance, you know, how it's going. Like I'll, I'm not the biggest Brad Wanamaker fan, but I will admit right now he had a lot of big moments, you know, in that series against Toronto where he was a zone buster would push the pace, you know, had a couple of good defensive plays, hit a couple of big threes. And that's the guy I look at. Maybe Gordon replaces, not necessarily a smarts minutes at all. Cause I think smart just has to be on the floor for the big moments, whether it's starting or closing or anything in between. But where Gordon could make the biggest impact, in my opinion, Stephen, maybe you're different from this, is that backup, that third, that tertiary ball handler spot that Brad occupied. If you could find a way to translate those minutes to Gordon, I think that might be the best case scenario. Are you in agreement with that? I Look, whether it's his minutes or, you know, uh, some of Shemi Ojale, you know, what, what Ojale's role was, you're just stretching, like, you know, you're stretching your good further. Brad Wanamaker is – he takes solid and, and you know, brings it to a better level. Um, you know, if, if people say, well, you know, what does Brad Stevens see in, in Brad Wanamaker? Let's see. Brad Stevens is a former point guard. Here's Brad Wanamaker, who wasn't a point guard until he became a pro, by the way. And he's made himself into a point guard, makes good decisions, plays tough, plays physical defense – uh, you know, handles the ball, gets you into your offense. That is that that love affair was easy to predict. You know, the, the Brad Brad thing. Um, mm-hmm. But now you look at Ojale, and he's a weird case to me um, because I, I I think a lot of his talent. But here's a guy. You know, everyone thinks of NBA players as a certain way. Here's a guy that's just you know. Uh, He's there for the team. He's playing physical defense. He's getting up on people. Exactly what you want. 
as far as the shot goes, the mechanics are there, all these things. But here's an NBA guy who doesn't have enough arrogance. He's not enough of a jerk. You know, this, this is a guy that when he and I have talked about it, you know, in more colorful language. It's like you need to be more of a and or more of an. Um, anyway, yeah, there you go. Um, but it's seriously because he's a guy that should be saying, like, here's I get the ball. It's going up. Take this. Have lunch, you know. And but he's, he gets the ball and sometimes he'll hesitate. Sometimes he won't. He had a couple of he had some good shots in the Toronto series. But a couple times, you can you watch enough basketball, uh, you can see when a guy's playing or shooting with confidence, and when he's not. And he may say he has confidence. He may actually. That's you know, confidence is, you know, where it's at for a shooter. You know, I've got my theory on it. It's you've that you know if if you're ready to shoot or not the great players in the last couple minutes of the game aren't great because they're just talented. It's because they have the greater belief that their shots are going in. In the case of a Larry bird, he took, he, you know, and I think it's practice. He got up so many shots that at the end of the game, he's like subconsciously, I don't think Larry sat down and wrote this out in longhand, but it's like, I've earned the right to make this shot. And that's the kind of mental approach that has to be. I, I think it's – I know he – I know that uh, that Shemi works hard enough, and I know he, he's got all the right things in his mind as far as he's playing the right way. Um, but anyway, we kind of got off on a Shemi tangent. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's where some of um, Gordon's minutes could come. But then again, like you, you're saying, they, they could just come from Brad Wanamaker – because they may want to keep Shemi's defense as part of that, you know, use his fouls or just use his get up in someone's face on the perimeter, that, that ability, because you're going to be switching a lot and, you know, you're going to see Shemi, he's going to wind up on Bam Adebayo once or twice and his ability to, to be physical and, and to at least get low on, on Adebayo will be important. Quick break here just to tell you that, uh, of course, the wait is over. Football is back, folks. You might not be at a game this year, I realize, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. NFL Futures, Chiefs plus 600, the defending champs coming off a win to open their season. You got the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, the reigning MVP plus 650. Saints, Niners, each plus 1,000. So are the Bucks, despite Tom Brady's inefficiencies in that opener. And Patriots plus 2,200. Cam Newton sharp in his first game in a year bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than any place online get in on their season opening bonuses today start off wagering to win division championship futures today as well head to bet online today take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts Steve Bullpett here with us. And Steve, this will be the last one for me because we don't want to keep you forever. But obviously we've talked uh, all about how the Celtics are good, how the Heat are good, when these two teams are at their best. One aspect we have not specifically honed in on are the coaches because had, you know, the C's gone down, 
to Nick Nurse and the Raptors. And Nick Nurse, obviously, is the coach of the year. He's an excellent coach, won a championship last year. I'm taking nothing from him, but I do believe, as most people did, despite seeding, Celtics were the superior team to the Raptors, and they played like it throughout the majority of that series with a couple of blowout wins. To go up 2 nothing in that series, to have double-digit leads in Game 6, in Game 7, the controversial call, obviously, with uh, – you know, Kemba not getting fouled. They lose that game in the double overtime. If the Seas had lost, not that it would have mattered. Brad Stevens just signed an extension. Nobody in their right mind would have been calling for him to go anywhere. I certainly wouldn't have been. I don't think either of you would have been either, but you would have heard it. Some in the national media and local as well would have said, this guy can't win. Celtics need to make a change. Well, now he's going up against Eric Spolstra, who obviously, you know, he's been to the mountaintop. He has coached to NBA Finals championship wins. He, you know, he is at a point now that Brad has been, but not ultimately succeeded to where he wants to be. What is the coaching breakdown in this series for you? Well, I think that in this situation, I don't think anyone's going to get beat by a coaching mistake. And, you know, if you look at, at how Toronto played, you know, if I'm Toronto, I probably would have wanted to see Ibaka more. Um, and let's take a step back for a second. And I mentioned this to a friend the other day. The Celtics have to be happy as hell that the Raptors last year traded Jonas Valanciunas away because that's the kind of guy that really used to hurt them inside. And they weren't getting hurt inside as much. Uh, uh, Siakam was a little fidgety inside and all that, but – so I, you know, I probably would have wanted to see, uh, if I'm a Toronto fan, I would have wanted to see a Baca more. Um, but anyway, I, I don't. I think at least you can take that off the table in this series that uh, um, that one of the coaches is going to make a mistake. Um, you look at the Celtics last year again, you know, in, in the playoffs, and I don't think you can find fault with what Brad Stevens coached them or was telling them to do. I can think you can find, I know you can find huge faults with their ability or willingness to execute it, to play together, to believe in one another. And at a certain point that was out of, that is out of the coach's hands. Um, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to you know, scold them, put them in the corner with, for a timeout. You know, it's, it's hard to do. And you can say, well, the coach got to get the players to do this stuff. True. But at a certain point, you know, the, the horses are out of the corral. Um, and so I, I think you can take the coaching blunder thing off the table. Having said that, whatever happens in this series, if the Celtics lose, whichever way Brad Stevens uses Gordon Hayward, assuming Hayward comes back at some point, will be to some people the reason why they lost the series. No matter which way he plays it with Gordon Hayward, that's what it'll, it'll be the reason why, according to some people, air quotes, <laughs> into this on radio. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so, you know, that's just, that's some weirdness we need to get ready for now. I like that. You got to get ready for some of the weird stuff. I, yeah, I just, you look at the way, you know, Toronto was a, a team without a, well, I mean, I, I would consider Kyle Lowry a really, really good player. Uh, but they don't have that quote unquote superstar, but they still have a lot of good role players around him. A lot of smart guys, well coached, play tough. Same thing here. I think with the heat, you have a Jimmy Butler upgrade. I think, although Kyle Lowry, um, in his own right is just, is a spectacular player and probably one of the most underrated guys in the league. 
Jimmy Butler is very similar in terms of can get to the bucket, can draw fouls, is a pest on defense, smart guy. I got a well-coached team in, in Miami. Um, but you look at the way, you know, this team has sort of been put together and it's been kind of refreshing to see a difference in attitude as we've gone to the Eastern Conference Finals. And it's, you know, a team that looks out for each other instead of, you know, plays the blame game. You have Kemba Walker always talking about how his teammates have carried him and, um, and how, you know, thankful he is that he can go, you know, three of 14 or whatever, and they don't get blown up by 50 points. That was actually one of my favorite quotes, I think, from the last series is how he could, he could have a bad game and still the Seeds get the win. And you have a, a team in Miami who's kind of been there, done that, you know, Boston in terms of like Spolstra, obviously, but Boston is, you know, been here before. I look at the coaching matchup. I don't see a whole lot of, you know, differences there, but I, I like the way both these teams are sort of playing right now. Like, there's a, there's, and I, I don't sure if you prefer one or the other, Steve. So maybe this will be the last question I have. Do you prefer a team that's had the rest and gone through all, like they swept Indiana, they took care of, in a very impressive fashion, took care of Milwaukee, or would you like to be the team in Boston that's had, you know, had an easy go in the first round, swept Philadelphia, but had to go blow for blow with the former champion, with the reigning champion? Had to go seven games, exhausting fashion too. You're not talking about you're talking about guys playing 50 minutes, 40 minutes a game to try and get through this thing. Would you rather be the team that's had some rest and been able to look at things and analyze things and sit back and pick things apart, or be the team like Boston who's kind of been up against it a little bit more and had their backs against the wall, so to speak? Well, the, the truth is, you're not going to know until you see, you know, sure. how they come out, how they come out of the corners for the first round and, and throw their punches. Um, the Celtics, you would think that they would have learned their lesson at the end, just in game three against Toronto, allowing that game to be close. Should have learned their lesson. Then they get you know, waxed in game four. Um, you know, uh, they shouldn't have – that game seven, it shouldn't have been as close as it was. And, yeah, Toronto was technically the defending champions, uh, but, um, you know – the three of us could put on Kansas City Chiefs jerseys right now, and doesn't make us Super Bowl champs. <laughs> uh, you know that wasn't that wasn't the defending champion Raptors without Kawhi Leonard, without Danny Green, and with Mark with excuse me with uh, Marcus Saul, who you know um, whatever Cliff, uh, who's the guy on uh, first take with Stephen A. Um, oh, Max Kellerman. Max Kellerman, whatever Cliff. Yeah. That, that he had uh, Brady. Brady going over, Marcus Gasol found it. <laughs> and I, Marcus Gasol is one of my favorite players, been one of my favorite players. He's a guy that I, I think I think if the Celtics could have got him uh, several years ago, mm-hmm. I think they would have been, you know, a contender quickly. Guys that, that do the dirty stuff, do the simple stuff every single game. Uh, but maybe it was the way he was used some – but that wasn't Gasol. So this series, you know, uh, does Miami come out and, and play the the grind game? Or do they, all of a sudden they think, hey, we're pretty good? Because once a team starts acting like they're pretty good, they're screwed for that night. It's happened to the Celtics a number of times before. But the biggest thing we're seeing right now is – and we've been talking about – I've been talking about for years and years and years – there's regular season basketball. There's playoff basketball. Mm-hmm. They might as well be hockey 
and tennis. They are different sports in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, Philadelphia looks great in the regular – Ben Simmons looks great in the regular season. But his – you know, are his numbers, I've always wondered, are, are they a product of, of Philadelphia's pace, regular season pace? Because when I've seen him in the playoffs, I've wondered aloud about his decision-making and, you know, how good a player is he when it becomes a possession game in the playoffs, when it's not just, you know, a guy can get hot and beat you uh, on a given night in the regular season, and you don't think much about it. You know, it's harder to do in the playoffs, and it's certainly harder to do the next game. So, you know, um, I think it's going to be interesting, and, and I, I would reserve all judgments until I see the first – you know, the first half of the first game even um, because, you know, uh, how are, how are these teams going to come out? Are they going to play up to their standard? Are they going to play up to their, uh, to their character, to the, to the characters that they have created for themselves? Steve Bullpetz, you've been reading and listening to his coverage of the Celtics and the NBA for decades and hopefully for many, many years to come. Steve, we're going to continue on with the show. We'll let you jump off. But I do want to leave you with this. Uh, you know, I know you're a music guy, so I don't, I don't know if you're taking requests when it comes to reporting. But I would love for you to be the one that tells the story as to what happened to Janos. Uh, you know, we, we, haven't, we haven't seen Janos since February. You know, many people want to know if it's actually Danny Ainge. He's never really copped to that. But this this character here that became such a Twitter legend so quickly in the Celtics, you know, weird Celtics Twitter community, the man's gone silent on us. Um, and this relates to music. Um, yeah, <laughs> I didn't quite get that one there. Well, yeah, yeah, the, the, in the in the sense of taking requests, I'm I'm oh, I'm, all right. I'm I'm asking for a reporting request. I'm, I'm honestly hoping you didn't hurt your rotator cuff on that reach. Um, oh. That's why I uh, saved it for the end. I have no idea. I mean, um, <laughs> I, I think I think the tweets are too good to be Danny. Yeah. Um, but, uh, could I don't he, know. Could it be Zarin? say music because one of the things that uh, I could potentially be doing really soon is uh, a book about a certain band uh, that uh, had a, a really – yeah, meteoric rise and went away. Um, but I'm talking with uh, one of the band members now that was a friend, and you know. But anyway, I've said too much. Okay, something to keep an eye. We won't push for details, but we'll keep an eye out. And I'm uh, trying to do it. I'm trying to do it in my head right now. I gotta yeah. figure that out. My my goal is to be to figure one out one clue. Okay, yeah, give me one. Jumbawamba. <laughs> oh, well. Wow, you know, I don't care. You know what, Steve? I'm out in this book now. It's not you know, Jumbo Wumba. I'm out. He, he didn't like my joke. I got knocked down, but I'm getting up again, so it's it's okay. There yeah, we go. There we go. Thank you. Saved thank it. You. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I'm trying to think if I have an award here, we can give him Comeback Player of the Year. There you <laughs> go. That's strong. That was well done, Adam. Equal, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Guys, be well. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Steve Bullpeck, good friend of the program here. And, uh, of course, I know we all miss his coverage, so hopefully much more of it to come. Have to keep an ear out for uh, that project that he was just alluding to as well. Steve, uh, you know, I, I asked him right off the hop, Evan, about his series prediction. And and I, I know this from talking to him several times. He's not a guy that likes to offer predictions when it comes to, you know, so I, I wasn't going to push him on that. Although the uh, the funny thing about it is it's probably the smart move because if you if you pick the Celtics in however many, six or seven, you know, if it's a homer take, and if you take the heat, 
if if someone's listening to this podcast because the Celtics podcast, you're a jerk. So you know he uh, he 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 was smart. He took the out. I always try and call it like it is. I said Raps in six last series, so I look like an asshole, but I don't really care. I'm just trying to be honest here. Yeah. And like, I really like that Toronto team. I think they're, I, I was, I had the show with Jared Weiss right after game one. And I was like, kind of really stunned at how easy Boston found their way to get shots and stops. Mm. And so I thought after that first game, I was like, man, I, I'm not quite sure what Toronto has in the bag to screw this up, but Nick Nurse will figure it out. And by golly, he figure it out. Uh, he that boxing one on Kemba was a do or die chip. Um, the Norman Powell, I mean, he really just tried to scheme his way, and he almost did to an Easter Conference Finals berth. Um, and I was pretty impressed with how how well he was able to do that. Um, but when you look at everything, you know, I I don't like being too homerish, but I do – I like the Celtics in seven here. I think when you look at the way Boston just played, and they just played a team that's very similar to them, smart team, hell of a good defensive team, nails on the defensive end, mm-hmm. has a knack for big shot making. I mean, Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry both know how to make big-time shots. Not to mention I, nobody. Oh, uh, well. As, as it turns out. I'll say OG played outstanding in that series. And if I were a Raptors fan, I would at least leave the season with, we might have something in OG. We might have lost something to Pascal, but he'll go back and work on that stuff. Mm-hmm. OG might be another, another guy coming that we could, we can look forward to. But I look at that Miami team. I know Miami, their offense is just in the half court is way better than Toronto's. I mean, it's just, it's night and day. Just watch. Don't look at numbers. Just watch how they move. And you don't need numbers to tell you that the Miami half court offense is better. I will say this. Defensively, I think Boston might be able to hunt mismatches a little bit easier. And I'm not sure if if Spolstra can scheme his way around it. Like, I, I just don't know. It, I, like, I know Miami plays a lot of zone. But Boston has kind of seen a lot of zone the past seven games. And I'm not sure if Miami has a different wrinkle to this than, Toron- than, uh, than, than Toronto did. I don't know if they're going to put Kyle Lowry in the middle of the lane for an illegal defense just to sit there and wait and take a charge of somebody. Like, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to totally sell out and try and stop Kimball Walker by giving him a box of one, basically a double team right. every time he touches the ball. There'll be other things that they do. Don't get me wrong, but I think Boston might have an easier time finding good shots against Miami. And I, and I like Boston's offense in seven, and I think they can do enough defensively. Because I, if you go back to a couple of those games, I think – I forget which game it was. I think it was game five. The first half of game five, I think, is the best defense Boston has played the entire season. Uh, they came out from minute second one and said, we're going to set the tone on this end of the floor, and it will translate to the offensive end of the floor. And I thought it was the best they've played defensively. And if they can lock that in – I'm not sure if any team left can really – I mean, obviously LeBron and AD, they're going to bring their own problems. You know, Kawhi and Paul George are their own problems. But when you have five guys moving on a string like they had them moving, switching everything, contesting everything, it becomes difficult. And I think Boston's defense is good enough. I think their offense can hunt enough. I like them in seven. Yeah. I mean, obviously I gave you my prediction off the top. Celtics in six, that's what I like. I just think that this series – not unlike the Raptors, obviously, if it, if it, if the Celtics have a chance in the series, which I believe they do, I believe they're going to win. 
But if the Celtics have a chance in the series, that means the series is going to come down to defense. It's what they do best. As many good offensive players to really good to great offensive players as they have, you know, and there's a spectrum there, certainly, and the lack of depth with the bench, we know that, and maybe that's lengthened by the return of Gordon Hayward, as we all talked about. Does that the- matter, though? Does that, does that even matter? I mean, we've seen – not to interrupt you here, but we've yeah. seen Boston play their top guys 40 minutes a game. Does the bench depth really no, matter? No, it, it doesn't uh, – it, it, it only matters if you – and I'm excluding a guy like Daniel Tice in this situation. We didn't even talk about Robin, uh, you know, Robert Williams over the course of the, uh, the show, really. But that's obviously a guy that, you know, we've talked about. It could step in and maybe be an, an impact against Bam Adebayo. But when you're talking about the key offensive players, obviously it's it's Kemba, it's Tatum, it's Brown, maybe it's Hayward. Occasionally it's Smart. The only way that one of those guys, you know, that, that I start to concern myself with, uh, you know, the the bench is if a guy gets into one of those guys gets into yeah. extreme foul trouble. And then right. obviously they can't be out there on the floor. So long as they're out there on the floor, whether it's Jalen Brown having a, a bad shooting night or Kemba Walker, uh, you know, getting locked up with the box in one, relying on other guys. So long as they're on the floor, I know in my mind it is possible that this guy could take over the game at any moment. You know, if they're not available, that's when I start to concern myself, obviously, with the bench and the lack of offense that comes from it. All due respect to the, you know, Brad Wanamakers of the world. And, uh, you know, occasionally when a guy like Grant Williams chips in offensively, it's it's really all about – those five guys, including Hayward, when he is available to, because uh, Daniel Tice, yeah, he may give you a dozen, but he's not a guy that you're like, he might score 23 tonight. Like, that's, you know, probably if he, not. If Things he does, really it'd be an American. For you if, uh, if that happens. But, yeah. you know, I just think it's going to come down to defense. And that's, uh, we know, like, we're, we're not rookies around here. We know that if it's up to Brad Stevens, I mean, he wants to win, but would he rather win a game? 90 to 85 or 120 to 115 it's the former and I think yeah. that's what they're going to be trying to do obviously and and Jimmy Butler I know you mentioned Bam and, and rightfully so but Jimmy Butler that's the main guy that you want to concern yourself with and if you can slow him down you know hold him to you know it's it's sort of they're different players but it's sort of like Kyle Lowry you know these like we're not talking about Giannis here you know, the, the, the level there, the ceiling, the floor, they are different. If you can keep Jimmy Butler to, yeah, like he's going to have a couple of games where he goes over 30 probably. But if you can keep him in a couple of games to 15, those are games that you should absolutely win. Or what? you're going to have those games where maybe he's going to go for 30, but you shut everybody else down and you can win that game. It's when he goes for 30 and another guy chips in 20 that I start to worry. Well, Bam's going to do that. I mean, they're yeah. – Bam is – I am so impressed with Bam. He – and I loved him in college, but I didn't think he'd be this guy. He's really tremendous on both ends. He's very cerebral. And, and credit to the coaching staff of Miami for developing him in the right way. Um, they can win – the thing about that Heat team is they can win games when Jimmy Butler doesn't go off. And that's what happens, as Steve alluded to, when the three-point guys just start going crazy. Right. And the one guy that we didn't talk about, and, and, and I will, um, if I missed it, my bad, um, the guy we didn't talk about was Goran Dragic, mm. who can be a pain in the ass. Yep. And is a guy that very much like Hayward or Tice might not have a ton of points, but his imprint is all over the game. 
And it doesn't. And it could be on offense, on defense, in playoffs. Yeah, but he doesn't always have to score twenty. He can. Oh, he could have like eleven, but have a bunch of assists, play gritty defense, move the basketball, have a bunch of hockey assists, and that ball's coming around, and he's diving in and out and in and out. I mean, it's there. Miami is a a different problem than Toronto is. Um, they I think they're way more potent behind the three point line, and I don't think they're as good as defensively. But they are a problem. They are they they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they just waxed the Milwaukee Bucks. Are we not like taking that in consideration enough? Are we not talking about how this Miami team absolutely demolished? And I don't care if Giannis on the floor or not. They were beating Milwaukee without question. I don't care if he was playing in Game Five or Game Six or whatever. Miami was going to win that series, no question. They absolutely waxed the best team with the best point differential in NBA history for a single season, and they waxed them. Are we not talking about that enough? I feel like we haven't mentioned that. Maybe we're not, and uh, maybe most people would say that we're not. I feel like we are only because, I don't know, maybe maybe it's on me. Maybe this is just a foolish opinion. It's your fault, Adam. I I still (laughs) – I I still look at them as, and it's not true. I'm exaggerating the point, but I still look at them as a one-man team. Like I just, I I said it to you weeks ago on this show that I wasn't a believer in the Bucks coming out of the East. You know, that doesn't mean I I saw them going down in in round two in the fashion that they did, but I didn't see them coming out of the East. And so I'm, I'm not shocked. You know, I, I, I said, and I'm going to probably be wrong about this. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. I, what I was going to say is, you know, what I said to you weeks ago was I don't think any of the favorites are going to win the championship. Bucks, Raptors, either of the L.A. Teams. You did, you now, did say now, this. I will back you up on that. Bucks and Raptors, they're not even getting there. So we know that's the case in the East. It's very possible both L.A. teams are going to be there. But it still doesn't mean either of them is going to win. It could still be the Celtics or the Heat that win the championship. So maybe I'll ultimately be right. But obviously in the West, it, it's it, it's an uphill climb with those two teams probably getting there, um, I, I would guess. But, yeah, it, it, in the East, I just I, – I wasn't a big Bucks guy. I'm not, and, and I wonder if Giannis is long-term, which is why he's talking with ownership right now. Three-hour meeting today. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of stuff got said. Uh, I'm, and I, I don't – I find it funny. You got to have a three-hour meeting with Giannis to tell him you're going to spend it on the luxury tax? Like – does it really take three hours to do that? I think that's yeah. a phone call. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. as and the one thing I'll say about the Celtics ownership group, they've said it. Uh, how how many times has Wick said this on some some forum, some medium somewhere? Yeah. We're not afraid of the luxury tax. We just want to make sure we do that like, with the right team. And Literally, I think Wick, as long as I can remember. <laughs> yeah, he says that all the time. He's like, we're not worried about that. We just want to make sure we do it the right way. Like, and I think they, I think they think they've found the right core to do it. And I mm-hmm. think they, they, and so I think now is when you'll start seeing, I mean, the Jalen, the Jalen contract was a nice discount. Okay. Yep. Anybody that wants to argue that with me, bring it on. Seriously. That's a joke of a contract for a guy that's doing what he's doing. You know, the Kemba deal had to be done in that yep. particular way. Um, Tatum's and Hayward sent coming his way. Hayward. I mean, I actually, you know, if there was a way to do it, I would have had Tatum sign that deal before the bubble started, but I don't know if that's really even possible, though I know they looked into no. it. Uh, but that deal's coming. It's a max. We don't have to get into it at all. It's going to be the max. Um, but they, you know, they have this weird team where that doesn't really matter. But anyway, back to the box. I was just – I was thoroughly impressed with how easily Miami handed their ass to them. I was just 
and it was just swagger and it was confidence and it was demoralizing if you're the Bucs as they just gashed you. Oh, and it was, again, a really good defensive team in Milwaukee. That's a really excellent defensive basketball team between Giannis and Middleton and Brooke Lopez who had a great year defensively. And we all know that Eric Bledsoe can be a pain in the ass. And Wes Matthews is a great defender. They have a bunch of guys like that on that team. And Miami just took him to the woodshed. And I, I, as we analyze everything and as we kind of get, you know, to the end of this and we preview, I just don't want anybody to lose sight of the fact that Miami just absolutely destroyed Milwaukee and that I know it's a different team, whatever, but that's still an impressive feat to do that. And they probably should have done it in five, in four games. They should have swept them, which is again, if it weren't for Chris Middleton going bananas and, and coach Bud playing his guys more than 35 minutes a game, which I got really angry about. Uh, who did I vent about that with last week? I vented about that with somebody um, on this show. I was really mad about it. And somebody was really, uh, anyway, uh, it was Washburn Washburn. Yeah. I was like, yeah. that's impossible that they don't pay those, play those guys more than 35 minutes a game. What are we doing? Um, <laughs> in the one game they did, they won. So whatever. Uh, I just, I, Miami's bubble run should be noted as very impressive. And I know Boston's is impressive too, but Miami, what they did to Milwaukee is probably the most impressive thing anybody's done in the bubble. So don't forget that if things get out of hand quick in either direction. Well, Celtics seed game one tips tomorrow night, maybe tonight, depending on when you're listening, but tomorrow night, 640 Tuesday, just to be even clearer, game two on Thursday, game three Saturday. That is all we know at this stage of the game right now. This show, once again, brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today for your free sign-up bonus. Always a treat to have Steve Bullpet with us. It's been a little while and uh, obviously wish him the best going forward. Sounds like he's already got some irons in the fire with regard to a future project. It was a blast chatting with him, though he's still paying very close attention to what's going on with the season, the rest of the NBA. Didn't even have a chance to get into the Mike D'Antoni situation with him. That would have been fun. Looks like uh, reportedly he might be in line to be the Pacers next head coach after, you know, like seconds after leaving the Rockets, which all that screams at you is I didn't want to be around James Harden and Russell Westbrook anymore, or, or maybe Daryl Morey, who knows? I wonder how long he is for Houston after uh, what's happened in recent years. But Indiana, Mike D'Antoni, looks like he's coming to the Eastern Conference. But for now, the East is going to be compelling in the next couple weeks ahead. Celtics and Heat, we both feel it's going to be the Seas, and we certainly hope it will be too, just to be talking active NBA basketball for Boston for the next roughly month into the fall. School's underway, and we're talking about playoff basketball. It's weird. Also weird is I noticed that I, you know, despite having this nice, fancy studio microphone hooked up to my computer, I had it on the wrong setting like a dope, and I'm just talking into my laptop built-in mic. So hopefully the audio quality is okay for all of you out sound there. Good, sound good on my end, so, you know, this is here. I'll, I'll let you know later. I'll switch it right now. You tell me if it makes a difference. This is how it should have sounded. If uh, Yeah, it's better now. It's muted. Yeah. It's a little bit more yeah. muffled. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This, this is this is what you should have been hearing for the last hour. Uh, instead, it was uh, it was not that. And so, anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna go right back to it for continuity's sake. There right. I am. Hold again. We're gonna go. M. Valenti, uh, Adam Kaufman. Thanks for being with us. That was fun, buddy. Always is. <laughs>